today's episode of Still To Be Determined, we're going to be talking about how the third little piggy was onto something. That's right. <laughs> we're talking about brick batteries. Hey, everybody. As usual, I'm Sean Farrell. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And I'm just generally curious about technology. And luckily for me, my brother is Matt of, that's right, Undecided with Matt Farrell. <laughs> that's right. His videos on his channel are what get these discussions going, as well as comments from listeners or viewers, such as all of you who are currently chomping at the bit to hear what Matt has to say. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm sure that comment kept your listeners very, very satisfied. <laughs> Before we get into today's discussion, some thoughts from our previous episode. This is episode 151 our discussion about motor technology developments that were inspired the conversation that was inspired by the breakthrough by a 17 year old high school student with an interesting model of non-magnetic, uh, no rare earth metal usage in the motor. Mm -hmm. And it inspired discussions along the lines of why that kind of path is important. And the comments on that episode, there was a lot of commentary touting the idea of moving away, away from rare earth metals. But there was also mm. a certain amount of commentary around YouTube's bad editing software. So Matt, <laughs> no specific comment brought up to share with everybody today, but I just wanted to let you know that a lot of the commenters understood uh -huh. your pain. Trying to use YouTube's editing software is yeah. a high pain point. And this all came out it of the fact that Matt had to awful. use his, the YouTube software because if I understand correctly, when you try to remove and replace a video on YouTube, YouTube doesn't like that. So in you order to it. edit a live video, you have to use yeah. their software. It's the only way to yes. edit a live video. Yep. And as a result, you end up shackling yourself to a terrible piece of technology. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're at, you're at their whims when you're using their tool of like, I think this is going to be a precise edit and it looks good in the preview. And then it renders out and it's like, wow, that is not even close to what I was expecting <laughs> to see. <laughs> so today's discussion is going to focus on Matt's most recent video, which is about brick batteries. This is similar to a discussion that we've had previously where mm -hmm. that discussion was focused on, it was a, it looked a little bit like a silo and it was, yes. if I remember correctly, it was filled with stone, correct? Sand. sand. Okay. That's what it yep. was. It was filled with sand yeah. and there were heating coils within it and it mm -hmm. would take excess energy from solar or wind farm or whatever the original source of energy was and store it physically as heat in the silo that is super insulated to the point where the heat doesn't just dissipate through the sides of the container. And then later when you want to recapture that heat, you've got it already in storage. Mm -hmm. So here we have a similar technique using bricks and these are just not, this isn't bricks you would use to build a house. These are special bricks. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Similar, but specially made for this. <laughs> there was a lot of commentary on this episode about just heat storage. It seems almost as if heat storage mm -hmm. is a concept that for some reason has just largely been ignored. Yeah. Where when you stop and think about it, it kind of seems like shouldn't have that 
have been a very rudimentary starting point for a lot of energy storage to simply say, well, if we've got the energy right here, how do we keep it here? Let's just let's keep let's it here. Keep it here this as opposed to yeah, you know, converting this is and that's storing. Been for, yeah. It's been it's been known for a long time. This is not like a new concept. It's but it's hasn't been used in a large scale format like this before. And I think the reason that we're seeing it now is because there's this urgency around energy where we're trying to get off of fossil fuels and we're trying to find different ways to be more efficient with our energy usage. And so it's like, I think that is the thing that's kind of putting the tipping point of helping to push these forward where we should have been doing this for the past hundred years, 200 years. We should have been doing this for forever, but yet there was no reason to do that when it's like, oh, oil is so cheap. It's like, we don't have to worry about that. We just can take this stuff and just burn it and get the heat we need at the moment we need it. Now, now we're at a point where it's like, well, that's a finite resource and it's not great for, you know, the environment. So we have to find other methods to do this better. It's like, well, okay, now we, we know how to store heat in, 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 in mass. Why aren't we doing this more? And so it's these different companies that are coming up with different techniques on how to store it. So TES or thermal energy storage is becoming a, a big thing now, which is kind of exciting. And also just a facepalm Jean-Luc Picard, but why weren't we doing this already? Right. <laughs> There were comments like this from Digiride, who spoke in basically the vein that you just spoke about. Mm -hmm. Digiride wrote, storing heat is a truly ancient and practical heating method. People used to put stones in the fire to heat them up during the day while the fire was in use for other things. And then overnight, the stones would release the built up heat to keep the area warmer. This is very similar to using heating inside a concrete floor, heating the concrete up, it helps keep the heat more stable in the environment. Using the material as a heat sink really helps balance temperatures during the 24-hour temperature cycle. This is one of the reasons I love brick and stone buildings. The, you know, when you get to thinking about how homes used to be built, and I'm talking about hundreds of years ago, where you would have had a central fireplace mm -hmm. in the center of the home, and the home would be built out of stone or brick, that there would have been no layers of insulation. You really would have been doing this on that scale of heating the home during the day with a fire roaring and you're cooking on that fire as well. And then in the evening, the walls would have absorbed a certain amount of heat and would keep you comfortable enough during the night yep. and then you'd restart the process in the morning. And then at a certain point, we just start being able to produce heat out of a furnace in a remote location. We move away from having a central fire in the home and it becomes at a certain point, I imagine when fuel is seen as being so affordable that it doesn't matter that you are burning it constantly, yep. you end up with a different model, but now we're trying to move back. And I wonder yeah. about how the, we usually talk about the technology as, as 99% of our conversation, but I wonder how is, how are these companies marketing this to consumers? Are there consumers largely commercial consumers or is there yeah. any of this that is on a local individual homeowner side? For the companies I talked about in this video, which was Bren Miller and Rondo, they're clearly focused on industry so they're they're focused on you know concrete production or just any kind of like industrial process they're fo they're largely focused on that as their way in and it makes sense because those are kind of the obvious first partners you'd want to look for because they need this and it's going to be this cost effective solution for them so 
it can, it's a good way to get your company kind of a solid baseline footing of financing. And then you can slowly start to roll out beyond that afterwards. I see this as the path for them, but for individuals, for us, for homeowners, there really isn't anything. There was a video I, I did a couple months ago, I think it was, around phase change materials. And there's a company that makes this phase change material that basically is storing heat for hot water that is available for homeowners. Mm -hmm. But like, that's the really the only thing I've seen that kind of technology. It's a very small scale, maybe for hot water, that kind of thing. I have not seen anything that would be a, a major player that's offering massive like heat batteries. But there are like, I know in Europe, this is another one of those things of Europe's ahead of the United States, like by a decade and a lot of home stuff. But like for people who have boilers, which is very common over in Europe, there are these kind of heat battery kind of systems that can be tied into the boilers to make it more efficient over time. So it's not like it's not available, but it's still not mainstream. It's still a little more niche even over there. So yeah, it's, I wish there was more of this. Yeah. In that vein, there's this comment from Jason Broom who writes in terms of residential energy consumption, roughly 20% goes to creating hot water, which goes right to your point about boilers. And more than 40% goes to heating the space in your home. This means any system of energy capture and storage on a significant scale could meet about 60% of annual residential energy needs in the U.S. All of a sudden, hot rocks sound like a great idea. I think mm -hmm. it's it would be interesting to see what a if a company, not necessarily one of the companies that you spoke about in your video, but if somebody was able to take this idea, are there ways of I'm just thinking in terms of heat capture around a hot water heater or mm -hmm. even in the piping that transmits the hot water through your house. I wonder if there are mm -hmm. ways that maybe that heat could be captured to be, to hold on to it for a slower release over time, as opposed to you're running your shower, the pipe gets hot, you turn off the shower, the pipe goes cold. I wonder, I just right. thinking off the top of my head there. What's funny is there's a lot of people doing DIY solutions mm -hmm. and experimenting around this in their own homes and building kind of crazy contraptions that are doing this. But again, that's a DIY thing. Not everybody's a DIYer or knows how to do this. It's like we need companies to kind of step up and, and rule this out. It, it's happening. Yeah. It's just, in my opinion, not fast enough. Also, the problem with DIY is unless you really know what you're doing, DIY can be incredibly scary or dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I <Yes>. have seen... <laughs> People who I greatly respect, who are big DIYers, the the people who are who take something off of a screen door and say, "Well, I'm not going to throw this away because I might be able to use this someday." And then when I see how they use it, I'm like, "If that spring releases, somebody's going to lose an eye." Like <laughs> sometimes <laughs> DIY is not what you want to do, but yeah, it also could be a path to. Sometimes it can be a path to a usage that actually would benefit more people. And it'd be interesting to see yep. what some of those results might be. There were also comments like this from Alan S who wrote in renews sustainable house day many years ago, a house in Adelaide, this Alan must be writing from Australia. I believe a house in Adelaide had a room full of rocks surrounded by thick insulation in winter. They were heated by a simple solar air heater in daytime that released heat into the well insulated and well-designed house at night. In the summer, they slowed down the temperature rise. They didn't eliminate powered heating and cooling entirely, but reduced the need for it. Sounds like a yeah. very basic, rudimentary, like literally almost in response to Jason Broom, the previous comments are saying hot rocks sound like a good idea. Here are the hot rocks. Yeah, it's, I mean, to tie into the previous comments you brought up, 
uh, it's like passive house design. One of the paths you can do is if you orient the house so that the sun is coming in through the windows and you have a concrete floor, it heats the concrete floor over the day in the middle of winter. And then overnight, that heat is then slowly radiating back out overnight. So it helps to reduce. It doesn't give you all necessarily all the heat you need, but it helps to dramatically reduce how much heat you have to add to keep comfortable. So the idea of like storing heat in different forms in your home is well established. It's just not <laughs> well used, <laughs> right? It's, especially here in the US. We don't take any of this stuff into account. It's also difficult when all the homes that exist already exist and they all face the directions yeah. they face. So it's one of those yep. things that if somebody is lucky enough to own a home already or find a home where they're like, oh, if I just put a concrete floor in here, this room will be nice and toasty. That's fantastic. But mm -hmm. many, many, many millions upon millions of homes already exist. And not everybody's in a position where they're going to build a home along the lines yep. that you've described, which is, I mean, it's just the nature of how the world works, right? Yep. There's also this comment from the genie who is pushing you toward possibly another video. Genie writes, would love to see you cover the thermoelectric energy storage and conversion in one of your videos. Malta is a spinoff from Google's project X division and is currently deploying the tech in the industry. Round trip efficiency is definitely not something to brag about, but with renewables getting dirt cheap through economies of scale and newer tech, the extremely low input cost of electricity more than makes up for the lower round trip efficiencies of thermoelectric energy storage and conversion. Yeah. Do you know much yeah. about thermoelectric conversion in the ways that Jeannie is talking about? Yeah, yeah I've, I've come across some of that. And it's it's the idea that you know, you're taking electricity, you're turning it into heat, you're storing it as heat, then you take it as heat and go back out to electricity again. There's kind of that round trip. We can take electricity and make it into heat pretty efficiently. Right. But getting heat back into electricity is not that efficient. Yeah. We're not too great at that. So th there's definitely efficiency losses in here, but I I'm definitely in agreement with him, her, not sure, but I'm definitely in agreement that I find efficiency kind of a red herring argument because it really comes down ultimately to costs. Yeah. Because <laughs> if an energy system is 60, 70% efficient, but it is dirt cheap to just flood extra energy in there, store it, coming back out. And, and the whole cost is less than a very efficient, let's say lithium ion battery, which is 90 plus percent efficient, but it costs a third or a quarter of the amount of money to build and run. It's like uh, the less efficient option is great for right now. So it, it, it doesn't make sense to right. make efficiency your, your key indicator. It's a, it's a part of the conversation, but it's not the end of the conversation. But yeah, I, I, I do, it is something I could dive into more about the, the, how the efficiency losses impact it, what companies have stuff, how it actually like sizes up against other options. Right. That could be an interesting video. And economies of scale are a big part of that too. We're talking about, you know, a solar farm or a wind farm that might be producing. I think in this video, you talk about how a wind farm in one location was creating yes. so much excess energy that nothing was happening with. Yep. So it becomes, well, if you're only recapturing 10% of that excess energy in some other electrothermal right. cycle, right. at least you're using that 10%. Yeah. You're, you may be losing an efficiency, but you're, if you didn't do this, you're just wasting it. Right. So let's at least get a use of 60% of it, you know, so it's not going to complete waste. Right. And on, on, on that note, come back to the efficiency thing of 
it does make a lot of sense once it's as heat to try to keep it as heat because it's very efficient once you get it into the heat energy and there's basically just moving it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I kind of partnered up with the YouTube channel city beautiful on this video and they put out a whole video on district heating and like this technology plus district heating, like peanut butter and chocolate, they kind of go together so well. So it's like this excess energy is getting dumped into basically a heat battery and then it could be used to heat, not just a home, but dozens or thousands of homes through a district heating system. It just is like amazing. Um, so I would, I would, I would again recommend checking out city beautiful's video. If you want to learn more about district heating, cause it's like. It's kind of like the, uh, once again, face bomb, well, duh, why aren't we doing this everywhere? And then when you find out, wait, they are kind of doing it <laughs> all over the place and you don't even realize it. Like here in Boston, they've got it in New York city. Like you're walking around New York city, you see those big like tubes on the street with like steam coming out the top. Mm -hmm. That's them letting steam that's leaking out of the district heating system in that area. Right. That's, that's what that is. So it's like, it's all underfoot and it's not sexy, but it's like a part oh, it's of many sexy. cities around the world. Oh, it's it smells wonderful. It's sexy. It brings, it brings yeah, when out you're standing the, on the, the wonderful odor of New York, standing on the corner waiting for the light to change, <laughs> yes. and you're caught in a cloud of excess steam. Mm, <laughs> nothing mm. better. You know, you're going to drag that in with you to the office when you get there. Yeah, well, that's an ancient system, which is it why is an it's ancient system. Like and that. we had we yeah. had one on 42nd Street that exploded. There was a there was a pressure oh, buildup in the system, and it actually blew a hole in the street. It was about I want to say. 2017, 2018, maybe. Wow. It was definitely pre-pandemic. And it was right outside Bryant Park. It was across the street from Bryant Park, right across the, the street from Bryant is the Grace Building, which is a famous building. And when it went off, there, of course, were concerns of like terror attack. Like, what was that? And yeah, right. it, it caused quite a bit of panic, but it was just a power, a steam, a steam conduit for that kind of district uh, power Mm -hmm. In any event, thank you to Jeannie. Thank you to Alan. Thank you to Jason and Digiride for the comments. As you can all tell, they really do drive the conversation here. And I invite people to jump into the comments now. And in response to Matt's earlier comment, these things are all around us, this kind of thermal capture of energy. Can you in the comments, share some places that you know this kind of technology is being used or places where you think it might be able to be used in your communities. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever it was you found this podcast. You know where you found us. Go back there and find us again. Leave a review, like us, subscribe to us, and share us with your friends. And don't forget, you can also do that on YouTube. And if you'd like to directly support us, you can click join on YouTube, or you can go to stilltbd.fm, click the become a supporter button, allows you to throw some coins at our heads. We appreciate the welts. Believe me, the bruises heal. <laughs> Matt and I still look almost as handsome as we always have. Big smile. <laughs> Taking all those uh, steps really does help support the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening or watching. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.